If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, I'm thrilled to be joined with the wonderful audiobook narrator and voice artist Erin Bennett. Erin, thank you so much for joining me on the show. How are you today? Oh, I'm fantastic, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's great to be here. It's great to be, you know, we I love it how we sound like we're in the next room or, or the same room <laughs> with one another and we're, you know, cross a cross continents and oceans. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lovely stuff. Now, if we may, I'd love to start right at the very beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in the world of voice acting and audiobooks? Sure, sure. So I'm originally from Northern California, but I went to a conservatory theater school in Boston. And and part of that education included a semester at Lambda, the London Academy Mm. of Music and Dramatic Art, which I know I don't need to tell you or your listeners what that is, but... (laughs) Um, you know, where uh, Americans were all so proud when we go across the pond, and, <laughs> and um, you know, when we try out our 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 <laughs> our mediocre British accents on an unsuspecting public, <laughs> which is what I did an awful lot of. Um, and uh, and then I came. I finished my last year um, in Boston, graduated, went to New York for about a year, did some started doing regional theater, then came back to Los Angeles, started working in commercials. Um, uh, on camera, mm. realizing I could make a living, at least temporarily, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and settled in L.A. where a lot of my family is, and mm. I've I've been in L.A. ever since. My mm. my voice my voice acting I, I've always I did I recorded a you know just kind of a a first demo when I was in college I I grabbed a bunch of magazines, I tweaked some copy, I picked some music samples, and I tried to make little commercials. It's very funny. Um, but a, a, a gentleman heard one of my demos and from a radio station and said, you got to keep at this. And he recut my demo for me and put it oh. on a, you know, put it on. It, it was so, it, it was just apropos of nothing. And yeah. that was kind of my first and then I sort of played it for my classmates, and I have I have a lot of classmates who went on to become you know quite quite famous in mm. in television and, and movies, and and I was I was always a character actress who, when I played these f- tapes for them, everyone's interest was piqued, and it mm. was kind of the the thing that set me apart because I wasn't going to be. I didn't know at the time. I mean, love. I loved Shakespeare and everything, but I, mm. I, I was not going to be able to make, you know, a, a life, being being on camera, and that really wasn't mm. where my interest lay anyway. So, always fascinated by the voice, always fascinated mm. by listening to stories. Um, and through the way I came to audiobooks was actually quite convoluted. <laughs> I was hired on camera at Paramount to do the cast of um, the cast of Torchwood, which is a very nice. popular um, uh, BBC show. Yeah, filmed a season in America, F- filmed a TV show. But while they were filming, they were also recording radio dramas because mm. 
that is that's very popular. And they needed the role of like an American marine biologist for one of their episodes. So I auditioned on camera for an uh, an, an off camera role, got it, and showed up uh, one day at a studio with John Barrowman and the <laughs> the rest of the cast. He immediately ran up to me, grabbed me, spun me around. <laughs> I think he I think he kissed me on both cheeks, oh and gosh. I was of course absolutely smitten. Yeah, and we did this old timey radio drama, which are are not have not been done a whole lot in in the U.S. Um, it's not a tradition, but it's one that I love. So I was thrilled. I was the only American. I was fangirling out with the cast of Torchwood. Yeah. And during that session, a producer from the next, um, the next studio over popped his head in and later asked me if I recorded audiobooks. I lied through my teeth. I said, of course I did. (laughs) And the week after that, I was recording my first audiobook and going home and sweating every day after the session. (laughs) And that was the beginning. That was 2012. Wow. That is incredible. It sounds <laughs> it sounds like you really made an impression, you know, whenever you were you were out and about recording things. It sounded like it does sound like you must have, you know, you must have really made a good impression for these, you know, in front of these producers and such. Um that must have been incredibly nice <laughs> as a it, performer. It was. And of course, I'm mentioning to you the peak experiences. I was mm. also I was also working with my dear friend um and colleague uh Scott Holst who had a workout a voiceover workout group where we just mm. had had copy slogged it out for an hour and a half once a week. I drove to Santa Monica. We all worked, we were all actors just learning in the trenches together, mm. working, paying to work paying for classes, doing all this stuff, just just the rehearsal, you know, the stuff where there's no immediate reward. Yeah. Where you're going, yeah. God, it would be nice to film this, you know, to, to tape the spot for for Gatorade or to be the voice of yeah. the Honda, the new Honda, whatever it is, yeah. but it's totally aspirational. And you're just slogging it out week after week. Um, so there was a lot of that, too. At the time, I lived in a tiny apartment in, in uh, Los Angeles, and I would drive to my – it was too loud. I couldn't record. Hmm. So I would drive to my grandmother's house. She lived up in the Hollywood Hills. Um, and I set up a little mini studio in a, an upstairs walk-in closet of hers. Nice. And I would go there and I would sort of – I would have a visit with her. And then when enough visiting had happened, I'd say, okay, Grandma, I got to go. You know, <laughs> I got to go to record my auditions and stuff. And I'd go do that and then I'd come yeah. back. You know, it was exhausting. But mm. I did it and I was building build, building it, you know, slowly so that when when that moment happened where where the producer was like, you do audiobooks, right? <laughs> Which <laughs> coincided with a huge, uh, there was a huge swell going on in the industry. Um, there was a huge surge of content that suddenly needed to be put into audio. So, mm. I mean, I don't want to say everyone with a pulse, but I was certainly someone with a pulse who would show up on time yeah. and want to do a good job and not flake out on, you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was t- I was going to the occasional, you know, commercial audition and, and something like that, but it just wasn't happening anymore. And... You know, the regional theater was great, but I, you know, it's 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 very hard to make a living. It's very hard to do that. I know everybody who's listening knows this, and mm. I I was coming up against it, and I had no idea that this—well, I had some idea that the world of audiobooks 
was available to to actors because I was doing I was doing classical theater or you know like more classic plays yeah i was doing a noel coward at the uh pasadena playhouse and i was doing some other i was doing like some school for scandal or something at, at a noise within which is a wonderful classical theater here in los angeles and people in the cast sort of the senior the senior established actors who i looked up to all st- I started to notice that a lot of them had something in common. That was they narrated audiobooks. Oh, right. And they were the nicest people. I remember sitting on the fire escape of at the Pasadena Playhouse. I had a tiny little, like, silent role, and I was understudying a bunch of people. Hmm. And, you know, one of the, the main, the, the old, the, you know, the senior, the, the elder statesman, uh, you know, would talk to me about their careers and what they were doing and, and I would listen. I would listen to their audiobooks, and I went, "Wow, isn't it fascinating that the nicest people I know in the theater, who are also extraordinarily talented, yeah. um, are are all involved in audiobooks?" So uh, when I when I did get that call, and I you know I said, "Oh, of course, you know, sure, audiobooks are." <laughs> I'd be, I'm 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 ready. Um, you know, I called a couple of those friends in a panic. Um, in fact, I'd done a Stoppard play with Robertson Dean. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was the, the, his kid and, and he was the, he was Henry, the main role. God, I still remember. He's just fascinating. (laughs) And I called him. He says, Aaron, get over here. You know, just like, come, come here. I can't do his voice, but you know, come here, you know, just sit, sit, sit in front of me, sit in that chair. Okay. Read. And you know, and then he gently and not so gently uh, <laughs> corrected and 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 start, said, "Okay, try this." And then before I knew it, it was it was doable. I was more or less in the pocket, but mm. that was a, I think it was a six day book, and those were the days where the kind of the end days of paper scripts. So I remember being in the being in the booth with the engineer um, on the other side of the glass with my water, trying not to move, trying not to make noise when I turned the pages, and thinking, like, surely it's time for a break. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, wasn't time for a break. Um, and getting, getting home every day and just feeling like I'd been beaten. It was, yeah. it was crazy. And then, you know, 500 audiobooks later. Yeah. That's right. That's, do you know, what a, what a, a set of experiences. I do have a lot of questions um, from what you've said, but the first one, um, so being based in LA, uh, I can imagine that being a pretty incredible experience on its own. Um, but LA has a reputation for being a rather a brutal, it can be, a, you know, a challenging place for performers and creatives. Would you say that there's any truth to that? What's L.A. really like for actors and those pursuing creative careers? Keep in mind, this is my experience. So Mm. I'm not I can't speak for anyone else. But. L.A. is hard. You know, my my ideal my my ideal kind of theatrical experiences happened when I was in London and I saw Mm. the National Theatre do plays in rep. I rem- I'll never forget it. I saw, I saw, I think it was Troilus, Troilus and Cressida, Troilus and Cressida on a Friday night. And then the, the core cast came back on Saturday and did Leonard Bernstein's Candide, which is, which is just absolutely insane. Yeah. So actors could do anything. 
So I thought, all right, if this is what I aim to do, because I, I sing as well and, mm-hmm. you know, and I play piano. And I, I thought, all right, if I, I, I want to be this kind of performer. That, that way, the sky's the limit. Yeah. And what I was not prepared for was the, you know, especially with theater conservatory training, where, you know, we were shuffled into the roles that were most appropriate for us from between the ages of 18 and 22. <laughs> <laughs> but, but still, I was not prepared for the camera. Mm-hmm. And I started doing commercials when they started wanting the look of quote unquote real people not just right. aspirational beer commercial models. I suddenly was wanted for kind of subtle expressions. And when I look mm. back at pictures, you know, like the Polaroids of myself at, the, at that time, not Polaroids, but like mm-hmm. when they were doing the costumes, they still did Polaroids at the time. Yeah. And I go, oh, my God, at this time in my life, I would have died to be 10 pounds thinner and look how thin I was. So yeah. I was kind of at my peak physically. And... um. It it is very much about what 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 your face and body look like, mm-hmm. and I was in denial, absolute denial about that. And besides, I wanted to be you know I wanted to play Rosalind and As You Like It. I I thought yeah. I could sort of escape that. So people who are, I know people in the music business. I know people in and the animation business, mm-hmm. voiceover, on camera, you name it. People who are in, in who, screenwriters. Mm-hmm. And it is brutal on each and every one of them for various and sundry ways. And I was in therapy for a long time to deal with this, mm-hmm. um, to to be able to take my sort of my dreams and aspirations and what I thought I could sort of mold myself to be and what a camera saw when it looked at me. Mm-hmm. Those were two different things in my mind. And the time when I was most successful and most able to be what I wanted to be was when I was behind a microphone. Hmm. Because what I look like is irrelevant. Yeah. And I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not ragging on myself. I, 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 I love myself. I have a, I have a glamorous side and I have a very, uh, you know, very kind of messy, yeah. unglamorous side. And I, I, I love, I love all of them. Um, and I, I'm at peace with that. But the... TV is a visual medium, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the theater is is not, and and voiceover is not. Mm-hmm. So trying to juggle all those things is exhausting. Plus, if you're going out for if you're going out for roles constantly in the theater, and then also on camera, maybe a little mm-hmm. a little a little part in a, a small part in a TV show, like a, a co-star. The constant demands of auditioning and also trying to have a day job yeah. are yeah. are really difficult to um, to manage. You know the rents the rents are rising. Um, yeah. It's more and more expensive. So, but you find your tribe. You find your you find your therapist. You find <laughs> you find ways of you know. Yeah. You find ways of of dealing and. Finding your way through it, um, and it has rewards. It has it has rewards, and it has very low times. But um, you know, if you're and 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 L.A. frankly is not not my favorite city, but it's a lot. It's a hell of a lot easier to live here 
um and I'm I'm a Californian, so yeah. But kind of by by birth, so I remember what that first winter in Boston and the the winds. Oh my god, you know it's just <laughs> so your lifestyle. You know, yeah. You can go to the beach, and if you know where to park, it's free. <laughs> so, so being a being a poor being a poor actor, I think is is easier. A poor young actor is is easier to do in L.A. It's it's harder yeah. to be an older poor actor. Uh, so, so it's. <laughs> the the years the years you have between the young and poor and the middle aged or the mm-hmm. I'm not middle aged yet but I'm getting there <laughs> those those other those other years you have time to to find out where you're going to be yeah yeah you you just have to know that it's going to take a while mm-hmm. and you know and and as a woman and and a mother on on the on the older side of the spectrum for motherhood that can that can get delayed and that that is that is difficult yeah so it's just it's just hard it it's hard mm-hmm. to put our I, I often had this feeling sort of like well when something big happens then it'll all fall into place mm-hmm. and nothing big in quotes happened but a lot of little things did happen, and before I knew it, I I realized I was making a life, and I could yeah. have a life, and I could have a family. Um, so but, would you so yeah. would you say that it kind of um, sort of crept up on you? Really, your success kind of crept up on you rather than a you know you sort of expect this one you know overnight change. Um, but instead it was, it was more of a steady, steady, steady. And then suddenly realized, hang on a second, I'm doing everything that I, I'm I'm set out to do. Well, you know, success looks very different to other people. I mean, I've been, I've been invited to houses where, you know, there's, there's, there's a view and there's a pool and there's a, you know, there's, (laughs) there's that car in the driveway. And that is, that is one measure of success. Yeah. Um, that's that's not going to be me. I'm not going to have a house mm. in Malibu and da 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 da. That 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 I think that ship has sailed. Um, but if you're if you're looking at someone, you know, a success often doesn't feel like like a success in the moment because it's scary. Sort of like mm. quit quitting one's day job. Yeah. And people who aren't able yet to quit their day jobs go, oh my god, I can't, I can't. I can't wait to do that, but I can't yet. That's a real success story. But let me tell you, when you quit your day job and then you're looking at the you're looking at the calendar and the calendar's got holes in it, you know, you you might yeah. not feel so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, someone who just shot a pilot that isn't going to be picked up, and they thought they were on their way. That's yeah. you know, that feels. Do those failures feel the same? M- maybe they do. So. The fact that I'm able to make a living at it, it that's at my standard of living. Yeah. yeah. But that's, yeah. you know, that's driving, a, you know, a nice car, but not, you know, <laughs> not a BMW, <laughs> you know. So if you want the BMW, you, you know, you may want to, you may have a different, a different view of success. Yeah, I understand completely. I think we're very similar, actually. I think we share... Um, a lot of the same values, it sounds like. Um, yeah, I understand completely. You have narrated 
hundreds of titles for the biggest publishers on the globe uh, narrating um, books written by some incredibly successful names what is it about audiobooks specifically that keep you coming back as a performer they keep calling me (laughs) (laughs) you know you you've I pursued for so long different you know different aspects of the Mm -hmm of the of the performing world and i would try nine times times out of ten it would be no and then ten and then the tenth time i'd get something oh and it would it would be a peak experience it would be wonderful you know and then the the lows would continue and i would go do i really want to do this do i really want to put three different changes of clothes in my car (laughs) because i've got to go to these different calls do i do i really do i really you know, I'm having trouble maybe memorizing some of these sides. What's mm-hmm. that about? But when I'm home, I can, you know, I can grab a cup of coffee. I can run, run my fingers through my hair, put on my <laughs> headphones, and I can close my eyes and imagine. And where am I or what am I? Or in the days before, you know, my, my agents in Beverly Hills, um, when we would still go in to the studio – I would get all dolled up. I mean, for voiceover, right? But because that waiting room was filled with voices and and incredible people who were, by the way, very much more successful than I in the commercial VO world. Um, So I would, you know, I would just be, I'd be pulling up a chair and just listening at their elbow. Um, (laughs) But I would also get to do partner reads in the room with them. And you, I I swear to you, it's 45 minutes over that hill to get there. I would do, you know, some warm-ups in the car. I'd listen to commercial radio, kind of get myself just in that pocket. Yeah. And I'd be there, and maybe I would be auditioning for a 30-second spot and maybe a 15-second tag for something else. Maybe, let's say, another 30-second commercial, and then it would be over. <laughs> and then I could drive home and record an audiobook. So I'd have the audition opportunities in the morning, which nine times out of ten, I'm not going to get. But then have the sure thing, or the bird, the bird in the hand, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Of recording, of recording an audiobook, and I just realized I completely forgot your question. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, it was. It was about. Um, sorry, I forgot it myself. That <laughs> it took me by surprise. Um, it's essentially about what about audiobooks specifically? Do, do oh, draw keeps coming you in. back. Yeah. That, they, that they're calling me. That they're yeah. that I'm getting an email saying, "We have this. Can you do it?" Yeah. And I say yes, absolutely. Yeah. And there's not much that I have to turn turn down. And f- fortunately, um, this is just a little. This is not everyone's experience, but I am extraordinarily fortunate in that I have not been typecast. Mm-hmm. I do virtually every every genre in audiobooks, with the exception of I don't do a whole lot of sci-fi. Although I just did a, a sci-fi trilogy that I'm really really excited about. A multicast recording, um, nice. but biography, memoir, mystery, cozy mystery, yeah. um, fiction, literary fiction, romance, um, women's literature. I hate that term. Women's <laughs> women's fiction, um, religious. Um, do you find fantasy. yourself? Do yeah. you find yourself getting like? Um, 
getting a project, getting uh, you know narrating a book that you wouldn't necessarily pick up in your in your free time, and then all the time, suddenly, and then and then at the end you walk away going, do you know what? That was probably one of the you know my favorite projects to to my one of the favorite books to read. Oh my goodness, um, absolutely, that's part of the joy of yeah. it. I'm still trying to get through Middle March, and you know, I, David Copperfield. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm a, 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 I love the classics, and I, I often, I, you know, I often don't have time to read for pleasure. Yeah. Um, just purely for my own pleasure. Yeah. So, I am introduced to so, so much wonderful work. I just narrated a memoir of a woman who grew up in the 50s and 60s in the Mormon Church in America. Talk about an experience at being inside somebody's head and yeah. and history. I, I would not have picked have picked this book up uh any other way. But it, mm. it found its way to me and it was utterly absorbing yeah. and and breathtaking. So it, it is I feel fortunate to um I never I never would have picked up a, a cozy mystery. You know, co- cozy mysteries are what they're called in America. I'm not sure what they're called in, in England, but, but they're your, you know, somebody somebody's killed, but it's it's not terribly sad and it's not messy, and there and there's somebody, usually a plucky librarian, who's got to solve the crime, and maybe yeah. they have a pet, like generally a cat, and there's a lot of visiting, a lot of snacking, a lot of, sometimes there's pies that are baked. There's a lot of tea having. <laughs> And sort of like if, Agatha Christie sort yes, of style. Yes, yeah. like uh, this is our version yeah. of Agatha Christie. And what's wonderful about those, they're little jewel boxes of books because they're populated by an entire village. It's like, um, it's like dark, it's almost like Doc Martin. I don't know if you remember the series. <laughs> yeah, where I do. <laughs> at the, you know, right, the denizens of Port Wen are all, every single colorful local character you, yeah. you can imagine are, are populate these books. So by the time you're done, you've essentially had tea or snacks with everyone in the, in, in the village, <laughs> and you've you've come to have all these people in your living room, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, I I thought I remember when I got my first cozy mystery. Like, all, all right, well here goes. You know, <laughs> just <clears throat> we'll, we'll belly up to the belly up to the microphone and see see what I find. And yeah. coming out of it, just smiling ear to ear. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I think we call them we call them over here who done it. Um, who done it? Yeah, it's. <laughs> oh. I prefer cozy mystery. I think it sounds better. Cozy, um, cozy mystery. Not a not just a not a mystery or a thriller, yeah. but a cozy mystery. I, yeah. I love who who done it because someone's got to say who done it. <laughs> it's sort of that thing of yeah, you don't know the answers, but that's okay. You're okay with it. It's cozy. You're fine with it. <laughs> Oh yes, and it all gets wrapped up in a little bow, you know, yeah. at the end, and everyone's fine, and you know, the the I bad like person is carted off to jail, and we never hear from them again. Ta-da-da. Yeah, yeah, I like it a lot. There's that um, cliche with voice actors that anyone who bumps into them isn't safe from their voice being stolen and stored away. Is there any truth to that in your process when coming up with voices for characters? Where do you draw upon to create those voices? Well, when I have Oh boy! When I have big fantasy novels, I did a I did a series of of um, fantasy novels that you know all have battles and have you know orcs and elves and mm-hmm. witches and fairies and you know that 
that is I steal absolutely brazenly from every Lord of the Rings, all my my childhood listening to the full cast recordings of The Hobbit. Oh. <laughs> but but you'd hopefully never know because because it's filtered through my voice. Mm. So, you know, unless I'm like copying doing like a Christopher Walken impression, you're not you're not going to know. Yeah. Be- I, I may, you know, there may be a flavor of somebody, but I, I can't, I can't do a, a, doing a caricature would be way too exhausting and, and inappropriate actually. Yeah. So, you know, there's just a little bit, I, you know, there's a little Ian McKellen here, there's a little kid bunch up <laughs> there, there's a little, it, it really helps, it really helps with, with doing accents too, um, to have an actor in mind. I was going to ask, I was going to, because accents can be a, a huge part of an audiobook, uh, most often the narrator having to switch between a variety and a short period of time and all that sort of thing. I just, yes. um, I wanted to know your approach to working in different accents. Is it, is it a skill that has come easy to you to take a lot of time, you know, a lot of work over time? A lot of work over time. Uh, we did learn the IPA, the International Phonetic Alphabet in school. Mm. And I remember thinking, what the hell am I going to ever use this for? Like, this is... <laughs> This is a waste of my time, <laughs> and it was—it absolutely was not. I mean, jokes on me. I, I am continually being surprised by mm. how I'm. A supposition I've had is just thrown on its head, mm-hmm. and and all of my youthful geeking out and rewatching of Pride and Prejudice with Jennifer Ely and Colin Firth—they've all served me in good stead. I mean, I hope, mm. I hope, and. <laughs> You know, or listening to Mark Twain. Um, oh my gosh, I have a series. Speaking of cozy mysteries, I have a series that I was completely nine ninety nine people out of a hundred would say I'm utterly miscast for. The protagonist is a is a middle aged, older Southern male from Mississippi, mm-hmm. and somehow I was dropped into it, and I've been doing, I've been using these kind of, you know, Mark Twain genteel southern accents yeah. for for this to populate this world because that's the way it's written. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was more contemporary, I'd probably do a little more contemporary sound, but that's just kind of the world that this author has. And, you know, who knew that really absorbing movies and recordings as a child, you know, would <laughs> would do me well. I've I think I watched The Sound of Music probably 968 times. I'm I'm the oldest of four children, so whatever I had was also filtered through my siblings. Yeah. So I mean, I I have a Julie Andrews RP at the drop of a hat because, you know, Mary Poppins practically perfect in every way. I mean, I've just got oh, it. That's good. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's she's there, you know. I've um I could be a singing nun in anything. Just, 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 just put it out there, universe. I mean, and and some of that is, you know, kind of jokes on me. Um, I have accents in my head that aren't, that were never real, but were in the Philadelphia story, you know. Yeah. Walter, Walter, for people saying the name Walter. Walter, Walter, you know, or, or yeah. um, you know, just... Uh, and then after a long time, this girl, they said girl, even though no, no American ever said, said that. But yeah. we, we have this thing where, you know, um, British uh, voice and speech training and elocution were taught to the studio actors of the 1940s. Mm. And they adopted this completely made up pretend 
they call it mid-Atlantic yeah. speech, um, which exists, you know, in a very kind of narrow, narrow realm of, of movies from the 40s and 50s, 30s and 40s and 50s. So, you know, there are these just weird facets to speech hmm. that if if they're put in you from a, a young age or uh, at a formative age or re- through repetition, you can absorb them. Now, there are some things I am terrible at absorbing. I went to school uh, in Boston for four years and still cannot do a Boston accent to save my life. <laughs> but, but you know, Yiddish or or Brooklyn, mm. Brooklyn, New York, you know, let me at it. I was, I must have been a, you know, an, an old Jewish man in another life. <laughs> also, my relatives on that side of my family are, you know, are Chicago Jews. So I've got, yeah. I've got their cadence in my, so also having a family from lots of other different places yeah, gives me lots of colorful characters to work with. Yeah, I find that so fascinating. Um, and I suppose, yeah, I guess, I guess our mind is like, a, it's just a sponge, isn't it? Open to, and you, you don't really, you don't always realize it's not always obvious, you know, what you pick up and what you can, it's sort of what sort of sticks in, as you say, it's, I find it so fascinating. Um, when working with publishers and studios, such as, uh, you know, Harper, Penguin Random House, Dreamscape, Tantor, the list goes on. Would you be able to tell us about your pre-production process? What should a narrator have ready before beginning that first day of recording? Well, you sh- I used to read the script twice. Mm. I now read it once. Um, and I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah. I, I would exhort uh, everyone to, to, to read the script. And I know that sounds... Uh, I know there's going to be a camp that says, "Well, of course, of course I, of course I'm going to read the script." Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And the other, like, you know what? I'm yeah. busy, and I'm going to pick it up, and my voice is good, and I'm confident, and I'm gonna, I'm just going to sail through it. And I yeah. will say to you, everyone has had the experience where <clears throat> there, there's a couple things where, in some books, toward the end, sometimes something can be revealed about a character mm-hmm. that you don't get to that really affects the way you would play the character, sometimes with an accent. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And you don't want to get to the end and find that you've been pronouncing a name incorrectly or (laughs) something like that. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to start like being like, this is the, this is the horror show that can happen to you, but everyone's got that story. And two, I would have to say, I have heard some, I have heard some recordings of actors who it's pretty obvious they're not they're reading it for the first time, hmm. and it's a it's a disservice to it's a disservice to the listener. Yeah, that's that's all I can say about that. Yeah, read the book. If you have questions, you can contact the publisher. You can look up words that you don't know how to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Um, you can read it quickly. I'm not going to say how how fast you how slow you have to read it. <laughs> You don't have to spend a week thinking about it, but but to read and, and mark up your text mm-hmm. um, is something something you should do, you know, once before you record it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I've heard a lot of horror stories as well where there's been an accent reveal for a character, you know, three quarters of the way through. Oh, God. I oh, couldn't imagine I mean, anything worse. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, and, and... That said, we have all been in places where we're being pulled in five di- different directions, and we yeah. don't always have time. 
Yeah. But you can you can learn, you can skim, you can you can really mm-hmm. go through a book quickly. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, and, and give it You can you can Yes, you you can mm-hmm. you can do that. And there are there are certain uh there are certain parts, you know, in in nonfiction where you're really going to need to have a lot of stamina. Mhm for the material. So the more familiar with it, the, the more familiar that y- you are with it, the the better you're going to be able to um, connect with the listener yeah. about something that may be very, very, quite dense indeed. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, actually. Because um, I think there is a sort of a, sometimes one of those things with nonfiction is people think that they can get sort of, um, I don't know, that it doesn't take as much prep. And I guess in some ways it's different, but I still... I'm a sort of still believer of you should, you know, it does help to, as you say, connect with the text first, especially if it is quite a, um, you know, a challenging topic um, or maybe not that, you know, obviously, I don't want to say obviously interesting because that sounds a little bit harsh. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a really fascinating um, topic. I just wondered, have you any advice for those who have only maybe narrated independently from home studios, etc., cetera, um, but are soon to be working with uh, a, a director, a producer, an engineer at a studio, for example. What traits are they looking for in a narrator that would help set a good impression? Well, you know, it's, it, it's a privilege to be working with an engineer and director. Those mm. are exciting times. Um, you know, I came up in... I, I came up where... You wa- you you went into a studio and and you were directed and engineered by the same person. In mm-hmm. the beginning of the the business, I understand sometimes there was an engineer and a separate director. This mm. that has all been condensed by many people uh, to often a narrator working by themselves. Yeah, and that can be extremely isolating. I I only work with an engineer um, mm. because I I very. I'm very respectful of what the job that the engineer does. Mm-hmm. I I'm used to directing myself, um, but I love it when I when I get the opportunity to be directed. And I would say when you have that opportunity, the most important thing you can do, I think, is be prepared and go in with an open mind. Yeah. Uh, when I'm directing someone, I I, I don't I don't direct audiobooks. Uh, generally but I did I did direct this one actor once he was he was absolutely incredible he'd done all these major campaigns for like Ford and stuff and then mm. he was doing a he was doing this special audiobook and I I had the fortune of directing him and I'm telling you he didn't treat this job that paid you know probably a quarter or a 20th of something he could make in the same time for a major client yeah in the commercial world, he treated it with the same reverence. And I was, my my jaw was on the floor. I was like, this guy, you know. Yeah. Some people come in with attitude, you know, they're like, I'm an on the Like the, the, uh, the unsaid understanding being like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't usually do this, but I'm doing this today. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> here yeah. I am. And, and everything <laughs> I say that comes out of my mouth is going to be acceptable to you. Yeah. So audiobook directors in general are absolutely masters of their craft. Mm. And I have I often think when I'm 
when I'm recording without a director, of some things that a director might have said to me in a session two years ago are still coming back to help me. So mm-hmm. be a sponge. Um, every, everybody works a little bit differently, even though you, the parameters, the general parameters are the same. And be open be open to being directed. Being open to trying something in a different way. Be open to being a little uncomfortable. Maybe yeah. maybe you're used to and, and comfortable narrating a certain way, but when you've got another set of ears to guide you and to say, well, you know, let's try this way. Can you g- give me a little bit more of this? Okay, try suppressing this part a little bit. Let I want more of this to come out. Or... I want you to just have a conversation with me. You're telling me the story. You're not you're not a professor talking to a big conference room or a big um a big university hall of uh, of 150 students. I want you to have an intimate conversation with me right here right now, just the two of us. Yeah. S- someone may be playing with the scale that you're using. Someone might be giving you notes on a character or encouraging you to go in a certain way. Or they may let you ride for pages and pages without saying a thing. So you've got to be comfortable with any of that. Know that if you're if you're going on and on and on and the director isn't popping in, you're doing just fine. Yeah. And uh, try not to get in your head about it too much. You've got a lot of material to chew through. So the director also has their eye on the clock. And the page count. And some things are just purely practical. Um, there's yeah. there's a certain amount of studio time that's allotted for this, and we and we've got it we've got to chew through that audio. We've got to yeah. chew through those pages. Um, so there's not gonna be a whole lot of time to, you know, stop and debate <laughs> debate a whole lot of things. Yeah. So, you know, just take it in, make an adjustment, take a breath. I think I think something we're all we can all be guilty of is we're so eager to keep going that the direction comes in we don't necessarily as an actor really really take it in because okay okay I think I know what she means and fine I'm going to keep going where actually it could have been helpful if I just paused took it in took a breath thought about it decide what I'm going to do inhale and begin again just f- 5 seconds more so all those all those things, all those plates spinning at once. I, I know it's a lot, but it's no different than when you're in a rehearsal room for a for a play. You know, the director's got an hour and a half to block this scene and then we got to move on. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's that's really great advice. I um, Yeah, it's. As you say, it can be very difficult with a lot of things going on at once and getting inside your head. And, you know, there is a, I think, I don't know whether it's just, I don't think it's just narration or just voiceover work and things. I think it's maybe everything that there's such a, a psychological element to it as well that you have to be aware of and, and, and nurture, I guess. Absolutely. Mm. I, you know, I, I should take my own advice, but I, I have to say having a physical practice of some sort of exercise, getting outside in the sun is really important. Mm. We're in these little boxes for a long, long periods of time talking to ourselves yeah. or talking to, you know, our engineer. And 
to to really be able to juggle things and not get in one's head. You know, yeah. when I look at the microphone, it's it's a giant ear and it's a lot of stimulation right in front of your face. Hmm. But my legs, my arms, my the trunk of my body, all of that it has to be engaged. Otherwise, I'm just talking from the neck up. Hmm. And you know as an actor, if if it doesn't drop down into your self, into your body, you're not connect. Or I just speak for myself. If it doesn't drop down into my body, I am not really present as a performer. I'm just a talking yeah. head, going blah 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 blah. <laughs> so I try to think of myself because I'm, you know, just a sucker for, you know, classic plays. I and plays that were formative to me in my formative years. I think of Thornton Wilder's Our Town. I think I'm like the stage yeah. manager. Sitting on the edge of the stage, sometimes I'm leaning on the proscenium march. I'm looking at the action. I'm coming to talk to the audience about what's happening. I'm kind of going in and out throughout this set, which which is no set, which is just kind of really people interacting in a space. Yeah. With with my with my audience, so yeah. I have to keep. I, I try to keep as physically active as possible. I, I tend to wave my arms around. I I tend to and, and do all of it in kind of a quiet way. Sometimes I'm, you know, making little adjustments with in my in my pelvis or, you know, with mm. my back, with my arms to try to stay as physically active as possible. So when you're performing, when you're when you're narrating, just try to keep physically physically present and yeah. that will help. I'm I'm trying to circle that back to all these things that we have to juggle. The time, the page count, the the director popping in here saying, "Hey, you know that voice that you were doing um for that character before, it it's it slipped a little bit. Can we get back to where it was?" All those things. And you know, like, "Oh my god, I got to get this pillow over my tummy because I'm getting a little hungry and it's I'm starting to hear a little so I got to get this pillow over." You know, all those things you can do. If you're really staying open. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. And uh, again, super fascinating. I don't think it's spoken about enough. Um, I, I, I find that, that whole side uh, incredibly interesting. I'm just going to, I just popped a, a, a cheeky look at the time and I cannot believe how far, <laughs> uh, how quickly this has gone. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a, a real pleasure to talk to you just before we run out of time. Um, have you any projects coming up in the future that you're excited for that, uh, that you can talk about? Yes. Um, I've got a project, I've got a, um, a book that's coming out soon called Zabars, which is a very famous delicatessen in New York. Mm. And it's a it's a story of the Jewish immigrants from Eastern Europe who started, who were the the seeds of that family, who which has uh, the the story of them coming to America and establishing a life in New York City and creating eventually their own their own family business. Hmm. Um, you know, I I am so guilty of. Reading a blurb of something and having no idea what it what it really represents, and I, you know, my half of my family is is Jewish and has that Jewish immigrant Ellis Island story, and yeah. 
I was utterly shocked at how moved I was um, by by reading about just the the saga of one family coming to coming to America f- across the ocean mm. and having to make a life in another country that that story alone i'm not even talking about how delicious zabar's you know <laughs> babka chocolate babka is <laughs> i forget that but finding out where american institutions like this this deli have yeah. have come from how did they start the people who make up a story um are just it's just fascinating. So yeah. that that is coming up. Zabar's um, I think it's called a family story with recipes. <laughs> oh, nice. uh, yeah. uh, uh, written by Lori Zabar is coming out for uh, uh, Penguin Random House. And um, yeah, I have another another book that is a, a great work of um, of science fiction by a, a, a seminal um, uh, a lesbian science fiction writer, Catherine mm-hmm. V. Forrest. Uh, this trilogy, the Daughters of a Coral Dawn series about about a group of women who decide to leave the Earth. And it's absolutely, it was written in the seventies, and at first I was like, "What is this?" You know, like, "Well, okay, all right, yeah. what's my part here? We go. What is the play, and what is my part?" I mean, I am just, I'm nothing but I'm bottom the weaver in Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm sorry, I'm just, and I know, I know, I'm I'm connected with my fellow voice actors because I know you yeah. guys are too. We all want to play every part. But anyway, I was like, I was, this is a multicast with great people like Hillary Huber and Frankie Corzo. And I was like, okay, what's my part? What's my part? Hmm. And, and I was at, I was at Out Loud Studios in Burbank. And every time we had a page break, the engineer and I were going, what is, this is amazing. Why is she, why is she not up there with Isaac Asimov? And what? This is hilarious. This is this is like Star Trek, but but hilarious and satirical yeah. and mysterious. And I have no idea what's going to happen next. Even though I, <laughs> I I read ahead, I still like forgot. You know, like yeah. I so I am just being taken by surprise. I can go to the outer reaches of the galaxy with one book, and you know, back to the 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 Jewish Pale of Settlement in 1908. And they're worlds apart, but I yeah. get to be in those worlds. So those are two incredibly <laughs> um, yeah. separate projects for each other. And then last thing coming up, I have been narrating Ellen Hildebrand's um, books for a long time. She is a classic escapist beach read. Yeah. Her stories take place on Nantucket, which is um, Nantucket Island which is just about one of the most aspirational, wonderful f- food, just food porn, lifestyle porn, <laughs> vacation porn, escape, relationship porn. It's like the most wonderful, soapy, uh, and she's such a good writer. I mean, yeah. she will take you deep, deep within characters, and you just ache for them, and you celebrate with them, and... That is that is really funny. And after I do one of her books, it, so the Hotel Nantucket is coming, and that is just like like pour yourself a glass of champagne and 
close your eyes and turn on a heat lamp wherever you are if it's cold and just yeah. <laughs> just escape. So I love doing her books too. So um, The Hotel Nantucket's coming out. Zabar's a, uh, a family saga with recipes and um, and the Daughters of a, of a Coral Dawn trilogy from Catherine V. Forrest. That's for Audible. Very nice. Those sound like varied, but all very, very, very good projects. Wow. <laughs> very, <laughs> very, very different from one another, but yeah. very, um, oh, just different as heck. And then, you yeah. know, my one of my favorite things to do every night is, um, you know, re- reading, oh, God, over and over, a bedtime story to my three-year-old. <laughs> um I try to I try to mix it up because she wants uh she you know she wants she wants some of these stories over and over and I, I try to I try to make it interesting for myself and I try to change <laughs> change it up because sometimes the last thing you want to do is is narrate again after you're you're yeah. in the you're in the booth but it yeah. it makes a difference when you're uh when you're narrating to your own kids so that's fun yeah I bet I bet do you ever try out new voices <laughs> oh yeah to... <laughs> I do I do all the time and sometimes she looks at me like mommy (laughs) (laughs) just be reading away and then suddenly hang on a second that's a good one (laughs) it's fun to it's fun to let her fill in the blanks you know good night moon good night light and the red balloon good night cow jumping over the moon you know yeah it's uh it's it's good we we that's how we learn so yeah you know absolutely Absolutely. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much once again for joining us on the show. Um, all uh, of links to social media accounts and websites, etc. Uh, can be found in the show notes. Um, and that just about does it for this week's episode. Another huge thank you to Erin and a thank you as always to the listener um, for making us a part of your day. Thanks very much, Erin. John, it was an uh, just an <laughs> unadulterated pleasure. Thank you so much for for this wonderful conversation. It's it's a it's a privilege. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.